Let's back up. We, we do this every time to kind of get us back in the right mode. And so remember that Paul wrote a literal letter to a group of people that he had led to the Lord in the province of Galatia. This was a group of people who had been saved. Uh, they had not been saved out of Judaism. They had actually been saved from, from living in the Greco-Roman world. They would followed idols and, and that sort of thing. And then they came to Christ. Paul found out that they had decided to add to their faith, okay, we're also going to follow Jewish tradition. And they decided that, hey, well, as well as following Christ, we're going we're to follow the dietary rules. We're going to do observations of, for, for the days, you know, do the ceremonies. We're go, going to circumcise. And Paul is writing this letter exasperated. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. Paul is just absolutely flabbergasted that after being saved, they have turned and now added to the gospel. Now remember, we talked about last week, these are believers, they haven't lost their faith, but they're, they're shackling themselves down with a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. And so he says... He then establishes his right to preach the gospel to them. He explains to them, reminds them what he went through to get the gospel to them. He even reminds them of an argument that he had had with Peter about this very issue where he challenges Peter to his faith. No, you cannot separate Jew and Gentile. You can't. Anything that's in the church that separates people, we don't do. He then defines the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 2, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith and not by the works of the law. And then he sets off giving us some analogies to help us understand that. He first starts out and shows them what that actually looks like. And what that actually looks like is, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That's what that looks like day to day. That the things of this world, I'm dead to them. Sin is not, doesn't have a call to me anymore because I've died to that. And it's about that relationship, walking with the Father. And then he gives us several analogies. In fact, for the next month, we're going to be looking at different analogies that he uses to try to hammer that point home. We, for two weeks, looked at the analogy that he uses about Abraham, where he says, Abraham was, was told that your faith has been counted to you as righteousness, and from your seed all the world will be blessed. Amen. And all the Jews of that time thought that that meant that by the Jews that all the world will be blessed. And Paul says, where he doesn't say seeds, he says seed. We're talking about one and that one is Jesus. And that by Jesus all the world will be blessed. And he, he, he then goes into the idea of a, the difference between a blessing and a curse. And we talked about how you have to understand the curse, that, the weight of the curse that all of humanity lives under to really understand the blessing. And then last week, Paul, using that same analogy of, of a human contract, says, hey, you guys know that once a contract is put together, you can't go back and annul it. You can't change it. Just like if I go and negotiate a price on a vehicle, I can't go back later and go, you know what, I think I've decided I'm going to give you less. Or what we've worked out, I'm not doing that. That makes people mad. That gets them upset. And 
Paul says, well, if we know that, surely God understands that because God is one. That God's not going to say to Abraham, by your faith you're made righteous and then come 400 years later and change it with the law. That the law was given because of our sin. And we talked about last week how the law is like a, a, a schoolmaster that stands over us and says, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, so that we know, so that we know that we're wrong. John Stott, this week I was reading and read John's, a quote from John Stott that beautifully puts that together. We cannot come to Christ to be justified until we've first been to Moses to be condemned. Once we have gone to Moses and acknowledged our sin, guilt, and condemnation, we must not stay there. We must leave Moses and go to Christ. And here's what, what that means. And I, I think I've shared with you that normally when I'm doing evangelism, I, I use the law. I like using that methodology. And so I, if I meet somebody and I'm talking to them, I will ask, I'll say, so if you were to die today and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell him? I would say 90% of the time, the response that I get from a person is, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm not that bad a person. I think I've, I've told you, I've actually done this in prison, and I, I thought it was humorous, if it wasn't so sad, that I can be with somebody who's in prison for murder, and they'll say, you know, I'm not a bad person, I've never hurt a child. We can always find somebody who's worse than us. We can always, if, if humanity is our measuring stick, then we're always going to find somebody who's worse off. I mean, I really believe if I were to be witness, if I could go back in time and witness to Hitler, he would go, well, you know, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not as bad as Stalin. And we're always going to be able to find somebody's worse. So God gave us the law as a measuring stick because none of us can measure up. If I start thinking I'm a pretty good person, I look at just simply the Ten Commandments and go, I can't do this. I can't not covet. I can't not do the things that the law requires of me. So I then go to God and say, God, forgive me. I have ruined this life. I need you. I've got to have you. I can't then turn back around and go, so now I'm going to work the law. It doesn't work that way. So that's what Stott is saying, and I hope that's, that's what we got yes, last week. And so Paul then shifts here into a discussion about heirs. And Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, I've spent all week reading in uh, you know, books about how life was in the first century and reading archaeological studies to try to come up with an analogy to help us understand what Paul is saying. That a child, even though he may be the future king, is no better than a slave. And I, I, I beat my head against this and beat my head against this and on Friday it just hit me, oh my gosh, how have I missed the obvious thing? The video that we saw, so, saw the first... Uh, okay, say this again. Let's just rewind. The video that we just saw showed the frustrations that a teacher has in a classroom setting. But the flip side of that, think about this. In what other social setting other than school environment could you, would you be sitting in a chair talking to your friend, having a nice day, enjoying the first juicy box of the morning, 
And somebody walks in and says, I want everybody in here to shut up. Line up against this wall. Let's go. Everybody up against the wall. That's not the order that I've told you to get in. You get back here. Get back here. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. How did you get gum? Spit it out. Oh, my gosh. You did gum. Where a person is controlling every movement of somebody. Have you ever been in a school and seen that? I mean, I've been walking through schools before um, where... I heard an assistant principal or somebody saying, we are going to be quiet, total silence. And I'm thinking to myself, it wasn't that loud for the love. Now, I'm not there all day, so I don't know how loud that they've been. But those kids have to do exactly what they're told to do, right? Right, guys? How many times in the locker room, the kids, the boys would come into the weight room and they would all be getting ready to, to work out and they're all cutting up and they're swapping each other with towels and they're acting this way or that way. And one of the coaches walk in and be like, all right, shut up. Come on, everybody get online. Let's go. We got to go. We're going to, let's stretch. Let's go, boys. Let's stretch. In what other social settings does that happen? I have never walked into the staff meeting and everybody's chatting among themselves and said, hey, y'all know what time it is? Everybody shut up. (laughs) Donna, I told you to get these numbers in. Okay, fine, go give me three laps. (laughs) I have never looked at Garrett in a staff meeting and said, on your face, up, down, up, down. Yet in the field house, that was the sort of thing that happened every day. And so a child in school is no different than a slave. I don't mean that in a negative context, but it's, what I mean is that someone else is controlling everything that they're doing. You have to. Because if you don't, teachers, tell me the truth, they'll run amok in a heartbeat. And so in that situation, unlike any other, other than maybe prison or uh, a military setting, That child has to do exactly what they're told to do. Or they'll be sent to the assistant principal, right? You go see Mr. O'Shaughnessy. Or O'Shaughnessy, or anyway. So Paul is saying, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. He's under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elemental principles of the world. He comes back to that idea of elemental in in verse verse 8. He said, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved by nature, but now you've come to know God and are known by God. How can you turn back to the weak and and worthless elementary principles of the world. The Greek word used there in both places is literally where we get the word elementary school. And it's just, it's the word that's used for the ABCs, the very simple building blocks of things. I don't think he's talking here about spirit, spirits or whatever. He's talking about the basics of religion. In my missionary work and in my life, I've been exposed to a lot of different religious beliefs. And I will say almost all religions are lists of do's and don'ts. The only difference between the different religions is what the list says. 
If you're in Islam, you've got a list of, you've got the five pillars of Islam that you have to do. To make it to heaven, you've got to give alms to the poor. You've got to pray five times a day. You've got to do the hajj. There's, there's a list. You go do these things. You don't do these things, and then you go to heaven. Just like those teachers say, sit down, be quiet, stop doing that, put your hands down, just like we saw. It's the elementary things to do. Buddhism is just like that, except it just has a different list. False forms of Christianity are exactly the same. They just have a different list. I mean, we've joked about the fact that growing up at a Baptist church, we had a list. You couldn't drink. You couldn't smoke. You couldn't chew. You couldn't run around with girls who do. You could not dance. You could not grow your hair down to where it touched your collar. You couldn't grow a beard. We had a list. This is the way good Christians act. And so Paul is saying there's this elementary form that you were under. They were followers of false religions, Greek and Roman belief systems that had a list. These are the things that you have to do. If you want your crops to do well, you have to go do this. If you want this to happen, here are the things that you have to do. They had lists of do's and don'ts, just like a a slave master telling his slave. See, if I own somebody, I don't care what they think or how they feel. I just tell them what to do. It's that elementary, basic level stuff. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Shut up. Do what you're told. And Paul is saying, that's not faith. That we are not slaves. You were like little children. You were slaves. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. It's not just about do this thing, don't do this thing. You see, with my children, I don't just care about their actions. I care about the heart attitude behind the actions. Because I don't want them to just obey me until they get 18 and leave. And then go, you can do, go do whatever you want to. I mean, we, when we get mad, we say that, don't you? Don't we? Am I the only parent that's ever said, you know what? I don't care what you do when you leave this house, but as long as you're, and you could all say it with me, as long as you're under my roof, you're going to do what I say. As long as I'm paying the mortgage on this house, this is what's going to happen in this house. Amen. We say that, and to some degree, we mean it. But to an even bigger degree, we want them to learn so that when they leave our house, They've learned the principles that will help them raise their own kids, right? And I was thinking this week just about the things that my dad accidentally taught me by being a good father. I mean, I I spent 20 years of my life working with complex systems, and I didn't learn how to do that in a classroom. I learned how to do that 
under a 67 Dodge pickup truck. If you don't take those leaf springs off in the right order, you'll lose a tooth. you got to know how it goes together so you can take it apart to put it back together again. And so my dad cared that I learned how something worked, and that benefited me hugely in my life. I want my children not just to do what they're told to do. I want you to do that part. All my kids who are in this room, and that's, that's what, about a third of the audience? you you got to do what you're told to do. But I want you to understand what's lying behind it because I want you to live a life that you're happy and able to raise your kids. You see the difference between a guardian that's just shut up and do what you're told and someone that says the reason why I'm doing this is for this reason. God, Jesus said, if you, he said this to a group of men, if you, being wicked, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more so does your Father in Heaven not want what's best for you? Amen. You see, we are poor examples, and some of you in here had a really poor example of a father. But our Heavenly Father is the perfect example. I love, love, love the story of the prodigal son where the son is there in the pig pen and he puts together a speech that he's going to give his father. And as he's walking down that road, the father seeing him from afar off runs to him. And then as he starts his prepared speech, the father interrupts him and says, No, you're my son! Bring the best robes and put them on my son. Put a ring on his finger. Slaughter the fattened calf for my son that was lost is returned. There's love there. There's compassion there. Your father loves you. And you see, the beautiful thing about it is, is we weren't born that way. My son, one of the most frustrating things about him is he acts just like me. He has my nature. All of my kids, they look like me, act like me, and it drives me insane. All of my kids, one of the first words they learned was actually. You could be telling them anything, and they would say, well, actually, Father. I'm like, you're three years old. Just shut up. I know how to change a diaper, child. My children will tell me that I'll be doing something on the iPad, and they're like, just give it here. And I'm like, child, I built the internet. Al Gore called me and asked me how to do it. Now, shut up. I know how to do this. And then I look at them and go, I was the exact same way. They act just like me. If I need any input from you, I'll ask for it. But we're adopted. We don't naturally have the nature of our father. In fact, naturally, our nature goes completely against him. But he loves us anyway. He's adopted us into his family. We are his child. And one of the things that he says here is that we know that we're his child because he's given us his spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. 
That is an Aramaic term that we know very well. It means daddy. Those of you who are mothers in this room have had this experience where you've been trying to do something and your child has followed you around going, mama, mama, mother, mama, mama, mom, 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 mother, mother, mom, mother, mom, mommy, 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 mom, mother, mom, 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 repeatedly, right? We've all had, you've all had that experience. And my kids do the same thing with me with that. Dad, 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 dad. And it's not just for the bad stuff. We, uh, I was putting down some floors this weekend. We, we got some floors, finally. Thank you, Jesus. We got some floors, and I was putting them in. And it seemed like the whole time that I was putting them in, Ruthie said, hey, Dad, this happened at school, and this was going on. And she wanted to tell me all about it. And then she would leave, and somebody else would come in. Oh, I'm doing some floors, huh? And let me, hey, and then they would tell me about this other thing that was going on. And I'm just like, can everybody just leave me alone? I'm trying to do floors. This is not an easy task. And nobody said, hey, let me try some of that. Not one of them. (laughs) They would tell me what they would tell and then they would leave. But they wanted to share the good things with their dad. When there's a boo-boo, when there's a problem, they want to. My son got pulled over this weekend, a week. I wasn't going to tell this story, and Ann's telling me not to, so that means I got to. Um, <laughs> so William is, is 16, and he, he's driving my Jeep. Whose Jeep is it? It's my Jeep. Don't forget that. And so he, he needs a vehicle, and so my dad bought a vehicle. I think he paid $300 for it, so it's a high-quality uh, vehicle that, that uh, I understand. The roof has a rebel flag painted on it. Even though it's a 94 S10, so that works out well. And uh, it's got a hole drilled under the window because I've been told, I didn't know this, that if you're driving down the road and you're smoking a joint and the police pull you over, that's a hole that you can pass your joint through. So it's important for my son to have that. Um, The car didn't have a tag, didn't have a uh, uh, um, seat belt, and... uh, Steering wheel, uh, steering is not, I mean, the uh, uh, speedometer is not working properly. So he gets pulled over going 75, uh, no tag, no seatbelts. So if there's any law enforcement in this room, talk to me afterwards. Um, So he's on the side of the road after the police leave him and he calls me. What am I going to do? His first thought was, daddy can fix this. I can't fix it, son. You're just going to have to go to jail because there ain't nothing I can do. (laughs) But his first inclination was to cry out for his dad. We know that our father has what's best for us. In the bad times, I've never been around somebody when they're in severe health issues that they aren't crying out to a God. They know that something greater than him has to break in. And I think in our world that we live in, we're missing out on that other part. We only talk to God, it seems like, when there's a problem. But we can cry out to our God and say, Daddy! Thank you so much for this family that you've given me. God, thank you for the way that you've blessed me. Daddy! And there's a difference between a daddy and a boss. 
And we know that. Instinctively, we know that. And so Paul is saying, you cried out to your daddy. He saved you. You were doing a bunch of crazy stuff and weird religions. You were doing all this elemental stuff. Do this. Don't do this. Go over here. Do it this way. Kill this cow this way. God saved you so that you're free. And it's about a relationship with God and trying to be like your daddy. Trying to walk in his footsteps. Why would you go back? Why would you go back to a stupid list? Why would you go back to the elementary basic stuff? Real Christianity is so much more. It's about having a father who can speak into your life. Who we can cry on when there's a problem. Who we can share our joys with. Why would you go back and reduce him to do's and don'ts? Those do's and don'ts are the elementary stuff that's just trying to protect you from hurting yourself. The relationship that we can have with our Father is so much more. Amen. And so Paul is trying to drive home to these Galatians. Don't do that. You've been adopted as sons. You are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God. Paul's saying, before you became saved, you were enslaved by a bunch of stuff that was just fake. It was made up. It was superstitious. It was silly. Don't go back. Don't go back. Whose slave you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. So as we come to a time of invitation, again, this, this text has been very, it's written to Christians. So it's, it, it's something that I think that we as Christians need to look at the way that we walk through our Christian walk and our relationship with God. And ask yourself, is my relationship with God, looking at God as somebody who's up in the sky, who's going to get me if I do anything wrong? Or is my relationship with God like a loving father who wants to protect me, who wants to love me? Who wants to change me. And this altar is open to repent of that kind of thinking. To say, God, help me to love you like a father. My love has waxed cold. God, give me that passion back. Help me to see you as a father. Help me to start acting like my daddy. Father God, I pray that you would drive the words of your word home. God, that you would break our hearts. Break our hearts over the way that we look at you. Help us to see you as a father who loves us who wants what's best for us. Who will provide for our every need. Who will say no and will say yes. God, change our view of you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.